The scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, 55 verses 1 through 9, and the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 13. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters, as some of them did, do not become, oops, sorry. as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, and do not complain as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but the testing will provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for this, your church, for these, your people. We pray as your word is proclaimed that I get out of your way so that your folks might hear a word from you. 
Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. This sermon series uh, that David and I have been preaching on is, uh, it came from um, the Methodist Public, United Methodist Publishing House that give you some ideas and everything. And during the, the Lenten season, it, is, uh, it was entitled, Return to Me with All of Your Heart. And so one of the ways that we do that, if we don't need that, if we don't know that we need repenting, we need to know that. After Jesus was baptized and was driven, in Mark's gospel, he was driven. He wasn't led. He wasn't asked, do you have time if, it, if it's not going to interfere with anything the rest of your day? You know, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he was tempted by Satan. And I know that that's sort of old-fashioned nowadays for a lot of people to, uh, to bring up Satan and, and all that. But I'm telling you, beware. Just telling you, beware. Jesus believed in him. Matter of fact, he said he saw him fall from heaven. Y'all remember that? Matthew's gospel. But anyway, anyway, he was tempted by the wild beast. And, and angels waited on him. After John the Baptist, after he was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. He was about to begin his public ministry. So he came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Repent. And believe in the good news. Y'all ever notice when God speaks, things happen? In the beginning was the word. God said, let there be light. Boom! There's light. Everything that we know, God spoke it into being. Isn't that something? When God speaks, things happen. Life springs into existence. As in the beginning when God did create the heavens and the earth. The same dynamism, it characterizes other things used by the prophets as he goes about trying to describe God. He says, thus says the Lord, soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed as Isaiah 56, 1. The Lord has buried his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. God takes the initiative entering into our lives. Our, he becomes involved with us, making God's saving power felt in our lives. When God addresses us, it's not a mere communication of ideas that bring, uh, about bringing the, the deliverance of new life. For you see, the scripture says the wicked, when we turn, when we repent, says the wicked and the unrighteous receive mercy and pardon. Receive mercy and pardon. They're lifted up into life in God. In the New Testament, the character of the Word of God, you and I call it the Holy Bible, it receives an even greater emphasis. These words I have spoken to you, says Jesus, they are spirit and life. Spirit and life. Or recall Paul's statement in Romans 1, 
16 and 17, the text that triggered the Reformation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith as it is written. He who through faith is righteous shall live. Here the gospel, it's, it's more than a doctrine. It's more than something that, that we put up on the shelf or, or folks come by when they see our, our big family Bible open. Righteousness is not a, a, a static attribute of God. Revelation is not a theoretical uh, communication from God. Faith is not a mere acceptance of these ideas. It's not what it is. The gospel is God's dynamite for salvation. The gospel is God's dynamite. For salvation. Why read the Bible? Why read the Bible? I've had folks, uh, I, when I was farming, uh, I've had people ask me along, I can't understand the Bible. I know you can. I know you can. Every translation in the world today, and I, I'd rather you stay away from a paraphrase, but, but, but the, the uh, translated Bible, they have them now to where you can read them. Or, or you can do as I do. I have a couple on my, on my iPhone that I can listen to. Why do that? Why, why should we do that? Just so we can say, well, we read the Bible. Or so we can argue with people. Christians are pretty good about that. But we do it. And you know, uh, well, once saved, always saved. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. Well, it does, and then it doesn't, you know. But that's the difference in Armenian and Calvin, you know. That's why there's different denominations. But anyway, why read about Because the gospel is God's dynamite for salvation. That's why we read it. It's through an insight into this that Martin Luther was led to rediscover, not just discover, rediscover, the true, the true nature of the gospel. And the Reformation was on its way. To Luther, the word of God was God. You all with me? The word of God was God speaking. Not God has spoken and had his word recorded so that we might merely play the record. The church of the Reformation made this view of the word an essential part of its witness when it declared in, the, in Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession, through the word and the sacraments as through instruments of the Holy Spirit is given, who works faith where and when it pleases God and them who hear the gospel. I, I don't really need to be in church. I don't have to be in church. Oh, really? I can worship God anywhere. I know that. I can too. I usually don't, but, 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 but I could, you know. Why do we need to be in church? Hebrews, you know, says for us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be in church. We need to be around one another. We need to be studying together. We need to be learning from each other because just every now and again, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit will speak through someone and give us an idea that we've never thought about. We see that happen all the time in disciple class. We need to be in church. It's not only an account of a victory in which 
God in Christ has achieved powers over evil, but it's also the means by which this victory is realized in our lives. It becomes real, in other words. It becomes real to us. And we pass it on from one generation to the next. In today's scripture passage in Isaiah, Isaiah is trying to do a couple of things. He's trying to draw a memory of the people back to an important and forgotten historical perspective. And he's trying to influence that perspective as well. Isaiah called the people back to the, the memory of, of the good that, that God has done, of the good that God is doing, and to the good that God will do. One key word is berit, covenant. Isaiah wants to talk about the covenant that God has made with his people which we know is the source of all good things that God has shared in the past and will share in the future. He's writing to a shell-shocked people. These folks have been destroyed. They have been exiled, carried off, and exiled. I mean, they were shell-shocked. These were people who have suffered great trauma. And after the manner of a, uh, you know, the way that Isaiah he, he really on purpose tries to get our attention. He's really trying hard to get our attention. He uses an image which can't help but cause us to take notice. Isaiah phrases his memorial as an invitation. Just as wisdom in the book of Proverbs cries aloud to get the attention of people, so Isaiah yells, he yells out this invitation much like the one that we would experience at a marketplace to attract customers, as I've said in the other two services this morning. Uh, as I was working on this, this sermon, it took me back to the county fair where vendors would try to get our attention. What will you, you know, what are you going to eat while you're there, in other words? You know, homemade donuts? Yummy. Fried bread, a cheesesteak sandwich, onion rings, a corn dog, or maybe just a giant, those giant pretzels. There are so many choices. Now, may, imagine while you're sitting there salivating, slobbering all over yourself, you know, all over, and these choices, and trying to figure out what it's going to cost you. A single voice rises above all the other voices and says, it's all free. It's all free. Concrete gifts of water, wine, milk, bread are offered. Good things, things necessary to sustain life. Come here and eat and drink, Isaiah shouts, in the marketplace. Come on. Come on. And just when he has our attention, he tells us the most amazing thing of all. What Isaiah is really talking about is the covenant that God has made with his servant, King David. And now God extends that covenant, that gift, that promise with all people, with all of us. Is that not good news? 
you see, this is God's plan. The Council of Bishops didn't come up with this. This is God's plan. It's God's way of thinking. God is fully aware of the king's sins and, his, and the way he fell. He's really aware of how people fail. He's really aware of how we do, of all of our failings. Yet the promise is not only renewed, it is extended to cover a great number of people. And what should our response be? As we read these scriptures, and, and if you believe in the authority of scripture, and, and by the way, whether you do or whether you don't, um, primary, um, uh, uh, scripture is primary in the United Methodist Church. It's first. Scripture is. So what should our response be? Well, the scripture says it should be immediate. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteousness their thoughts. Forsake that stuff that's been holding you back. Clear your mind, your thoughts. Let them return to the Lord. That's what repenting is all about. That God may have mercy on them. And to our God, he will abundantly, think of that word, abundantly pardon. Not just sort of pardon, abundantly pardon. In a way, this makes no sense to us. We become so cynical in the world in which we live until it spills over into the church. We're used to insurance firms restricting coverage, companies reducing their liability. Fine print on all those marvelous medical ads on television, making it clear that the offer is not, as, not quite as breathtaking as what we thought. But you see, God's covenant is more than manna, which sustains us for our day's work, even in the desert. And that is a generous gift from God, even that. But this food, what Isaiah is talking about, this food is food for eternity, forever. He says, come on. Have to have any money. Come on. And we may not fully realize its value. I get that any more than the people did who received the bread from Jesus and who followed him and when he talked about this living bread. So generous and breathtaking is this offer that we simply may fail to understand it and fall back in our old ways. And fall back in our old ways. We may say, this is too good to be true. It is to our way of thinking. But it's not to his. Remember, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. See, people all the time, all the time, that, that have no joy in their life, that have no joy, that have no meaning, no purpose in their lives. And they visit with me about that. But I've been in the church, da-da-da-da-da. I give, da-da-da-da-da. I, I, you know, on and on and on and on. And you talk about God's word to them. 
And it almost become, you almost become legalistic by doing that. And that's definitely not what I want to do. But one of the things that I ask folks when they, they talk about not having any joy or any purpose, one of the things that I ask folks is this. How long has it been since you did something for somebody? How long has it been since you, since you did something for someone? Well, uh, yeah. what? No wonder you don't have any joy. Don't read the Bible. Well, no wonder that you don't have purpose. I mean, doesn't that explain it? This is not rocket science. And Isaiah is saying, you don't even have to have any money to come and eat this food. Come on. This sustains us for all eternity. That's why Isaiah is doing everything he can to get our attention. Because God is preparing to abundantly pardon. Not grudgingly, not stingy, not, but abundantly. God's word will not return to him empty. That's what scripture says. But it shall accomplish that which God purposes. And we indeed shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. All of nature is going to join in this celebration. Just as we celebrate God's breathtaking wonders, so here too the wonders celebrate with us. According to Isaiah, in response to God's purposes, all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I want to see that. Don't y'all? I want to see that. God doesn't think like us. God's ways are not our ways. And you cannot, I cannot receive this gift if we insist on clinging to our old ways. That's why the word repent is used today. You have to turn. Insisting on our old ways. Time and time again, this is exactly what Israel did. In response to the old and especially to the new covenant. For you see, we're afraid to take a risk, to try something new, to stop and to listen, to truly listen to what God has to offer. Instead, we fall back on our old ways and forget. And forget. The sin of forgetting what God has done for us as individuals. Think about that for just a second this morning. What's God done in your life? Think about it. And then think about what God has done in this local congregation. That's something we see with God's people. And God's people, as we see out in the desert, sometimes we get in our own desert. We cling to the ways of violence instead of redemption, of hatred instead of risking love, of fear instead of overwhelming joy. It's not that the world is not dangerous, of course it is. But we 
are the people of God's peace. We're the church for crying out loud. We're not given the spirit of fear, but of joy. There are plenty of things to fear in today's world, but they should not dominate our thinking. Most of us make it through the day. Most of us are not shot, punched, died, uh, clipped, bent, folded, or mutilated. Most of us, that's not going to happen to us. Not saying that it can't. Just saying more than likely it won't. Most of us don't have to be survivors. We can be team players. We can work together for all rather than striving to eliminate all. It's for those who do suffer, who have suffered, who are victims. And that's where we are called as God's people, as messengers like Isaiah, to spread the good news. We don't apply Band-Aids. We do not make things well with a word but we walk with those who are hurting in order to bring hope. Isaiah didn't turn to the people who were shell-shocked from invasion and captivity and say, hey, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. He didn't say that as God's people, we don't grieve. There's plenty wrong in our world today, and we do grieve. We grieve the, the, the loss of loved ones. We grieve whenever uh, we know that folks can't get better. We grieve when we think about all the kids that don't have homes. We grieve for the widows that no one ever visits. We grieve. But he told us that in a broken world where sorrowful things happen, God intends always to be a part of our future, a future filled with hope, a future filled with purpose. His presence was a reminder that in sorrow that God is present. That's what he told the exiles, that's what he tells us today. And I'm not stupid enough to think that, that the world is ready for this message because we want to hold on to the old hatreds, the old grudges. We want to respond to hate with hate, to violence with violence, knowing all the while that God will abundantly pardon. Not just pardon, not grudgingly pardon, but abundantly pardon. I ask you as the church today, can we do less? Can we do less? With each other and with those around the world, can we do less than to love one another, to forgive one another, to build one another up, to be the church? If God abundantly pardons, can we do less? Who you got a beef with? Who you mad at? 
Who do you need to go to and say, hey, I didn't have all the information. I need to apologize. Or to go and say, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. You're never going to have joy. You're never going to have peace until you do. You know that, don't you? It all begins with repenting, with recognizing the fact that we need to turn from our sinful selves. Jesus was criticized because he and his disciples didn't fast. They didn't wear ashes. But he and his disciples, they ate, they drank, and displayed the marks of life and living. The cross lay ahead for Jesus and many of his disciples and may lay ahead for us. But as today's scripture tells us, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours. Stop. Just stop. In the midst of our technological marketplace, listen to the voice that rises above all others. On the journey of life in which we hurry, often without purpose, often without joy. Slow down. Stop. Remember what God has done, is doing, and has promised he will do in your life. Adopt a different way of looking at the world than at your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I'll say this this morning, my dear friend, things aren't what you think. Things aren't what you think. No, no. They're much, much better. Thanks be to God. Amen.